Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. According to a new report in the New York Times, the U.S. government may have physical evidence of, and we're quoting, off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Huh. Huh is right. In a world gone haywire, sometimes art is the only thing that can make sense of it all. The government has also released footage of UFO sightings, including a 2004 encounter recorded from an advanced Navy fighter jet. I'm Ashley Ford, and this is The Chronicles of Now, where we ask writers to dream up short stories inspired by aliens. Just when you thought 2020 couldn't get any more bizarre, My gosh. Pentagon declassifying three videos of what they're calling unexplained aerial phenomena. That's not an LNS, though, is it? It's not an LNS, dude. But if there's a good thing... The news cycle has been intense lately. So maybe you didn't pay much attention to this story about UFOs, about how the government has begun releasing previously top-secret information about its continuing research into unidentified, unexplainable aerial weirdness, a.k.a. the Pentagon's Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. We're also consumed with news about the virus, but maybe we're missing out on something even bigger. If we could just stop for a moment and really reckon with ourselves as a species on this planet, being visited by another species would be the biggest event in maybe all of history. Hannah Asadi is the author of Sonora, a novel set in her native Arizona. When she saw those UFO videos from the Pentagon, she started to wonder about the future. I'm currently 36 weeks pregnant, so I was kind of imagining, you know, the generation to which, inshallah, as we say in Arabic, my daughter will belong, um, kind of coming up in the aftermath of this pandemic and everything else that is occurring <laughs> in our time right now. She wondered, what if things don't get better? Will children born today even notice if aliens paid us a visit? And what would aliens think of us? What if this is it? 
Jabrell asked, before kissing Brielle on the roof. It was their first kiss, not only between them, but in all the world. They were just 17, still children, but also heartbreakingly adult. They had already witnessed so much death, but these times felt different. Everyone had for so long been distracted by man-made madness, they had forgotten about the ocean, what it could do. Now, the floods had begun. For years, Jabril had rehearsed that kiss in his mind. A kiss fit for the apocalypse. When it finally didn't matter anymore what she had, what he might have, how they might murder one another by exchanging a single virion. But the kiss came out sloppily. He was too conscious of his tongue. Like all humans, he slid his shame beneath speech. What if it's the end? So? Rial feigned coolness in the aftershock of the kiss. It's about time, she added. The country cases continuing to spike in the south and west, including Phoenix, Arizona. Hospitals there now- The pandemic had given birth to their generation. It was so mean, that flu, disappearing and reappearing as it did. Every wave bearing a new face, worse symptoms. But that wasn't all that had happened. There was the revolution. The coup. Bree drew away from Jabril, though she wanted him to kiss her again. There was wind between them now where there hadn't been. Her heart rampaged in the shell of her traitorous body. She knew how swiftly her body could betray her, how it would eventually feed her to death's greedy grasp. A kiss could do it. A kiss could conjure the plague... But she had dreamed of her lips against the lips of another, of contact, for so long. In olden times, she would have been labeled a hopeless romantic. Indeed, in the backdrop of her kissing reveries, there was always pasture, ocean, a deluge of fireflies. In reality... Below them lay what remained of the city. It was burning. If this is the end, then fireworks or shooting stars, Jabril whispered. His breath tickled her ears, down, down, electrifying the insides of her thighs. Huh? Bree asked. What do you want to see last? 
His voice went on torturing her. Fireworks or shooting stars. Fireworks were her first memory. That defiant drumbeat of light erupting across the city. Her mother screaming out the window. That was only the beginning, what they called the revolution. Then came the worst backlash, the coup, during which the wealthy fled, leaving their emissaries behind to make the world safe again. They tried to murder us, all of us, but we lived on anyways, like cockroaches, her mother always said. Well, Bree. Life's a fucking bitch, and then you die. It had been two years since Bree found her mother breathless and blue. I've never seen a shooting star, Bree said. Still, you have to pick one, Jabril said. He drew waves through her hair. Where had he learned all of this? All of these ways to touch her. Fireworks or shooting stars? Or else? She asked. Or else? Jabril grasped Bree's hand in his. And this was new too. Jabril cringed. His hands were warm full of sweat, even though it was late November. Suddenly, he remembered a line of his father's before his father went jogging naked into the last A-train that would ever run. That once upon a time, snow had fallen, and beneath it, the city looked swaddled in the skin of the stars. You have to answer the question, or... Or else, I get to shoot you. Jabril had never seen snow, but he had seen it in all the old movies. Had seen the way Manhattan once was covered entirely in diamonds. Now, the only illumination came from the other cockroaches burning their trash. There were no more garbage men who came past midnight the rumble of their trucks comforting as Santa Claus, blanketed in the cacophonous city soundtrack. It was better to be young than to be old, Jabril decided. It was better not to have memories of the world as it once had been. For instance, Jabril's mother came from Syria by way of Paris, And she still blathered on about that city of light, those croissants, checkerboard tables, their fussy ballet of a language. He would never have to miss it. Commercial planes stopped flying the year he was born. I hate this game, Bree moaned. It's so dumb. You don't even have a gun. To Jabril's surprise, 
Bree's hand was still cradled in his. He gazed out over Brooklyn, his broken land. Blood, flame, floods, rat remains. Even the pigeons were gone. It all had been ending for so long. Jabril was so consumed by feelings of failure that even in these last of days he would not consummate romance. He completely missed the ecstatic view on the horizon where there suddenly was smeared three streaks of cerulean light. Brielle, on the other hand, in fact, did notice the miracle in the corner of her eye, but berated the old little romantic fool in her for playing tricks on her mind. There's no shooting stars in Brooklyn, she decided aloud. Though both Bree and Jabril were in the thrall of that wild somersault of first love, they feared its novelty. So rather than look at one another or up at the sky, they each gazed down at the revoltingly dirty, burning, and likewise flooded city, missing the rest of the enigmatic light show. Meanwhile, the three spaceships hazarding across the New York midnight had traveled for hundreds of years from the constellation Vela, once known for its glowing sea-green infinity-shaped nebula. Had Brielle ever seen a shooting star, she might have mistaken contact, which was happening at last, not with a lovesick hallucination, but with that mundane phenomenon of burning space trash. But these were no meteors. They were Valens, though not in their own language, which was purely mathematical and unreproducible here. Rather, they referred to themselves as the people of time. Having intercepted the Voyager on their way elsewhere, the Valens played its golden record and designated humans as simply the people of music. It was Blind Willie Johnson's forlorn, rapturous voice in Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground that convinced the Valens to detour their expedition from visiting another planet where the secret of immortality had long been revealed and intraspecies hatred, inequity, and environmental destruction had long been eradicated to our Earth. They were so moved by our music that they expected to hear the planet, upon entering the atmosphere, vibrating with song. But as it happened, truer to Bree's mama's philosophy, what they saw on Earth was... Life here is a fucking bitch, and then you die. We had long since forsaken contact, 
consumed as we had become by our own ends. And so nobody received the Valens, except one blind old man who ran raving through the Arizona desert. Deliver me! I'm all yours! Unfortunately, the people of time understood time differently. They knew profoundly the way time could manipulate the heart. That the more seconds they spent on Earth, even to save just one of us, the more they might come to embrace the horror below and the human notion that time heals all trespasses, all wounds, even war, even death. And after all, there was so much else to love in the universe. So the Valens quickly moved on. The shooting stars of their spaceships disappeared from the New York horizon before Jabril finally summoned the courage to kiss Bree again. And it was almost perfect, the kiss this time. Adam and Eve, Jabril said, having turned contemplative. What do you think they were thinking about that first day of existence? How they never wanted to die, Brielle replied. That was The People of Music by Hannah Asadi. The narrator was Sunila Nankani. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Ashley. So, I have to ask, do you believe in UFOs? <laughs> uh, I think so. I, um, I grew up in Arizona, and during that time, a very famous UFO episode happened there called The Phoenix Lights. A series of unexplained flying objects uh, flew over the desert and... It was sort of the talk of the town for years and still is. But I do have to believe that we are not alone in this sort of massive universe. But whether or not they're interested in visiting us, I think, is another question and maybe the question of this story as well. Mm, I think it might be the question <laughs> of this story. Yeah. Uh, the big surprise in this story is the near contact with the extraterrestrial beings. Why don't Jabril and Brielle notice the UFOs? Is it that the spaceships are actually moving too fast? Or is it that they can't stand to imagine what they might be? Of course, Brielle sort of notices, but doesn't want to uh, admit to herself that she's noticed these strange lights. And Jabril completely you know, doesn't notice them for whatever reason. And I think there's two points. Maybe one is that they're so consumed with seeing that of this devastated Brooklyn that they don't even have the space to see this kind of unimaginable visitation that's happening. And on the other hand, maybe that what's going on between them is enough. The two of them, it's first love. Uh, it's overwhelming in and of itself. The human experience is enough. Um, so I think that's kind of the two, like, authorial intentionalities behind that. So the Valens are attracted to us because of our music. 
and they loved Dark Was the Night by the great blind Willie Johnson. It was one of 27 pieces of music sent with the Voyager spacecrafts in the late 1970s. I love the idea of that golden record, by the way. When I found out about it as a kid, I could not stop looking up things about it. But the music turns out to be a mirage, and they get out of here as soon as they get a good look at us. So what does that say about us? And more so, what does that say about the Valens? I mean, I I think... Even Blind Willie Johnson's story, right? The reason they detour their expedition elsewhere is for this particular musician's song. And his voice, which uh, resonates with all of the struggle that he experienced. But um, how would they know that, right? And But that his story that he, you know, died, they wouldn't help him in a hospital probably because he was black. And that, you know, he didn't died in an unmarked grave. We don't even know where it is. I mean, that's just sort of proves the Valen's point in a way that they hear the beauty that we're capable of, right? That they hear the best of us in this record. And I think our art is the best of us. You know, I think our music, our writing, our literature, our movies, for the most part, are the best of us. (laughs) But when they come here and they see it, you know, they see us for all of it, they realize that there's another side to the story and they move on. As there usually is. Yeah, there usually is, right. So what does that say about us is that we're like monsters and angels. And then what does it say about them? They are aware of other civilizations where immortality has been achieved, where, you know, like that are so much more advanced than us, that why would they? I mean, why would they waste their time, literally? And I think that's just something for all of us to think about (laughs) Um, as we march toward hopefully some form of progress. Hannah, thank you so much for your story and for taking the time to talk today. Thank you for coming on the Chronicles of Now. Thank you for being such a good reader of it. You can read my full interview with Hannah Asadi on our website, chronicles.fm, where you can also read the story you just heard and other short fiction torn from today's headlines. Our sound designer and composer is Bart Warshaw. Our producer is Curtis Fox, and our associate producer is Emily Rostick. Tyler Cabot is the executive producer and founder of Chronicles of Now. For Pushkin Industries, our executive producer is Lital Malad. Special thanks to Jacob Weisberg, Carly Migliori, Heather Fain, and Eric Sandler. For the Chronicles of Now podcast, I'm Ashley Ford. Thanks for listening. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.